0: Hi, I'm Cody Ferraro, and welcome to the Power of the Journey podcast, where we peel back the layers of the student-athlete experience by talking with those who have been through it, those who are impacting it, and guests within the athletics community who are actively trying to change it for the better. Today, we are powered by Gameplan. With partners such as the NFL, NBA, Pac-12, and over 300 athletic organizations, Gameplan is the only all in one platform for total athlete development on and off the field. Gameplan is also the single largest community of student athletes seeking employment opportunities in the world. So, whether you're an organization looking to create comprehensive e learning education or an employer looking for your next star employee, ask yourself Did I game plan it? For more information, Visit GamePlan at WeAreGamePlan.com. That's WeAreGamePlan.com.
1: Today on Power the Journey, we have a former basketball star hailing from Southern California and taking her talents to the University of Rhode Island, where she majored in finance, before taking a fifth year at UMass Lowell and receiving a second degree in marketing. She's the founder and creator of Playoff, the only athlete-exclusive dating app, Join our conversation as we talk about entrepreneurship, mental health, and a whole bunch of other topics. Introducing Amanda McGrew. Amanda, thanks for joining us today.
2: Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, you'd rather be in LA than in Boulder, Colorado. I can guarantee that.
2: Uh, Maybe, maybe. Some days I'm ready to get the hell out of here, but but it's okay. It's a good place to be. That's for sure.
1: Uh, You're originally from there, right? Born and raised?
2: Born and raised in Santa Monica. Um, yeah, went, went out to the East coast for, for college, but then came back and haven't gone very far from, from my, my parents' house. I'm like 10 (laughs) minutes away.
1: (laughs) Well, bring us through that. So you born and raised, you know, Southern California basketball. Um, what was the uh, environment like? Was it pretty competitive in Southern California?
2: Uh, yeah, I think it got, it, it starts to get much more competitive once you get into the AAU world. And once you start really getting into the club scene, um, Santa Monica, believe it or not, once upon a time was a little bit of a small town. Uh, it felt like a small beach town. It does not seem that way anymore, but, but back when I was growing up, um, it was, it was kind of like, you kind of knew everybody, everyone was playing in the rec leagues together. It felt a little more kind of tight knit and then kind of branching out a little bit. You had to, you had to drive, you know, 20, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever to kind of get to the a local club practice or get to a tournament or whatever. So once I got into club, you know, in the end of elementary school, all through middle school and through high school, um, it was super competitive. You know, it was like, it was all about what team you were on and whether you were starting and who was on your team and who you were playing that weekend. And, you know, as I imagine, it's probably the same way with every major sport. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good time for sure. And it definitely kind of helped me branch out, you know, in terms of the kind of people I was meeting and the people I was around, which I think is invaluable.
1: Yeah, no, uh, agreed. And the recruiting process. So AAU a little different than, um, than other leagues. So like baseball, obviously there's travel teams and such, but AAU is such like an absolute giant. Um, so what was the recruiting process like through AAU to the university of choice And, and how did you get to that, uh, to choosing?
2: Yeah, I, um, I will say I was, it was cool being on these like major elite, you know, AAU teams. That was really cool, but it was also as an athlete, my first time like not being the best, which I'm so glad I experienced that as young as I did, because that to me is like the most valuable thing as an athlete, every athlete gets to this point where they're no longer the best. And it's like, what do you do in that moment? Right. Do you like work harder or do you quit? You know, it's kind Mm -hmm. of like you're faced with this choice. Um, so I'm really glad I kind of faced that earlier, um, in my career, but going through high school, I was part of a really good team and I was definitely not the the top player on the team. I was being recruited by a ton of mid-major schools. Um, Mostly, you know, some some D two and D three schools, but mostly mid major D one schools. I really wanted to get out of California. Um, I was convinced that I was like ready for some other grand adventure. Um, my sister was also two years older than me, uh, and she left to go play softball at Michigan State. So her leaving really kind of, and she was also being recruited by much you know bigger D one schools. So her leaving really kind of gave me the go ahead to be like, yeah, get out of here, like go go do that. Um, So I kind of like took off, I mean, not, I wasn't like that highly touted, but I took off most of the California schools that were looking at me. I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. Um, And then I landed on the university of Rhode Island. um, And it's actually kind of a crazy story. One of the assistant coaches from temple in, uh, in Philly was recruiting me. And I didn't even really realize a couple of weeks later, I got an email from the head coach at URI. And he was like, oh yeah, you've been talking to our assistant coach. Uh, you know, so-and-so. And I was like, oh, he coaches at Temple. And he's like, oh no, actually he coaches with us now. So like, do you want to come here? Um, and it was like, I, it just gave me like a fir- the first glimpse into like, oh, this is what college athletics is like. It's just kind of like all over the place sometimes. Um, but I'm so glad it worked out that way. I really wanted to go to a place with a beach. Um, I was too stupid to realize that I didn't really get to go to the beach that much during the school year uh, in in New England. But um, it was beautiful. I love New England. It was so much fun. Um, the recruiting process was kind of kind of weird um, as like an eighteen year old trying to figure out like how to talk to these adults. And you know now as I'm older, I realize how much value there is in that kind of connection making for those assistant coaches who are really trying to you know bring those high school kids in. I think there's so much value there, but. Um, it was a fun process for sure. And then I kind of had to go through it again, uh, to get to that fifth year.
1: Yeah. So the fifth year at UMass Lowell, did, was there an injury or how'd you take the fifth year?
2: Yeah. So, uh, right at the beginning of my senior year at URI, I tore my ACL. Um, luckily I tore it in, at, was it, what was our sixth game of the season? And I guess if I tore it in my seventh game, I wouldn't have been able to redshirt. So I would have had, I would have played too many games. So I kind of lucked out there. Um, I, my coaching staff from URI, the head coach did not get his contract renewed. So we had a new coach coming in. And I remember like talking to one of the athletic directors and he was like, yeah, you kind of got to like go ask her if you can have your scholarship back. And I was like, wait, I don't just like get it. I don't just get to come back. And he was like, Ooh, no, sorry. Like, that's not really how it goes. Um, And I was, I was like, well, I'm on crutches still. I'm like, this is a disaster. This is not good. So I went in there and talked to her and she was like super gracious and nice about it. But she was like, listen, you've got six girls graduating and me and my new assistant coaches already have like eight girls committed. Like, we don't have we don't have a scholarship for you. And I was like devastated. I was like, oh my God, these are, I mean, it was the past four years of the school. These were like my people that like mm-hmm. my friends were here. Every, you know, everything, my whole life was in Rhode Island. And so then I kind of had to shift and figure out, well, what the hell am I gonna do? Um, I remember reaching out to a few, I was told that I had to go division two because I couldn't sit out two years in a row. So I couldn't transfer to another D one to sit out again. Um, so I was contacting my friends who played back in California at some division two schools. And I guess they, their co- I don't know if it's their conference or whatever it was, they agreed to not give out full scholarships. They agreed to like, there was some sort of agreement that it was like, we're gonna all give all partial scholarships. So I was like, well, I I can't do that. <laughs> I was like, that, that's not gonna work. Um, so I just started looking at all the Division Two schools in the NE10, which is the um, New England uh, Division Two conference. And I was like, all right, I guess this place is pretty familiar to me. I can I can do this. And I think I just reached out to every head coach and was like, hey, here's my name, here's my stats, here's what's going on. Like, can I talk to you? And it was it was really cool of an experience for me to go through that again as like a 22 year old as opposed to an 18 year old. Um, I was without my parents, you know, they were here in California, you know, cheering me on but not really able to facilitate anything for me. Um, and I was, I was still pretty naive in the fact that I pretty much jumped on the first scholarship offer that came. They were like, all right, well, we got another spot. And I was like, yep, I'll do it. I'll do it, sign me up. When do I get there? Um, and it was getting pretty late into August at that, or not August, probably July at that time where I was kind of like a little bit nervous. Like this has got to work out. Like I have to, I have to figure this out pretty soon. So once that, once UMass Lowell offered, um, I was pretty quick to jump on the chance. And I was like, all right, it's only like an hour and a half North of Rhode Island. So I was like, all right, let's do it. Like I'm ready to go. So it was kind of a funky thing, but it, it was, it all worked out really well in the end.
1: So mentally, how, how do you prepare for that? Right. So like you, you went through, almost like a, a career lifetime playing with the same, the same people, same coaching staff, same surroundings. And then like, uh, not even on a whim, but almost forced to, to changing it all. Um, right. h- how do you, how do you deal with that mentally? And, and just did it impact your performance at all? Or do you think you just kind of got stronger from it?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I definitely think I got stronger from it, but it was not necessarily like I wasn't seeing the strength in that moment. Like mm-hmm. in that moment, I was kind of like, what the hell am I going to do? It was kind of that that situation where you're like, what you're you're, you're strong once you have no, I don't know the quote. It's like you you find out how strong you are when you have no other choice but to be strong. And it was like, I knew that if I I also graduated from URI, so I got my degree. And so for a lot of people, they were like, why don't you just come home? You can just fin- you can just be done. And I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? And I think I just was like, if I turned fifty and realized I still had a year of eligibility left that I didn't take, like. I would never be able to forgive myself and especially because of how great I felt like my athletic career and my college life had been like, I was like, this is, it was such a great opportunity for me that I would never not pursue taking a fifth year, you know, by any means necessary. I would figure out a way to do it. Um, it was also kind of strange that there was a lot going on with the fact that I was injured. It wasn't like I got injured and then got fully healthy and then had to navigate this. I was like navigating it while I was still not able to play. Um, So while I was reaching out to coaches, I was like having to send them game film from, you know, past, you know, seasons that, and kind of be like, I promise I'll be able to do this again. Like, I just, just have a little faith. And like, I I had no idea what my recovery was going to look like. I mean, obviously I was doing everything I needed to do in in the weight room and then in, in physical therapy and in treatment and all that stuff. But, you know, I, that was my first major injury. I'd broken bones and I've, you know, done all, all kind of other things, but that was my first major surgery. So I wasn't really prepared for like how that was going to affect my body, how it was going to affect me mentally. Um, you know, being in the winter in new England, when it happened, it happened in December and I got the surgery and I was like, wow, the men's team and the women's team, which were kind of like my, my circle, my inner circle, like my, my best friends, they were all in the middle of season. So they were traveling, multiple times a week, like going to games, going on flights, like they were not around. And I'm like in the middle of like snowstorms in new England, like not going to class. And just like, I was like, man, this is rough. And now looking back on it, now that kind of mental health is really at the forefront of athletics and people are talking about it. I was like, Oh, that's what was happening. Like (laughs) you were not in a good place. You know, you were really having a hard time. Um, so I think I, there was definitely a level of pride once I kind of followed through with it and, and got that scholarship to UMass Lowell. It was like, all right, you're able to, you, you just surprised yourself in a way that, you know, you're able to do a lot of, you're able to do things that are difficult and, you know, you're able to kind of, uh, you know, hold yourself accountable and, and follow through with what you say you're going to do. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to my athletic career and like what's had to happen kind of from the beginning to up until that point, it was like, you've gone through a lot of things that are hard, like, don't be surprised that you can do stuff that a lot of people wouldn't expect you to be able to do, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, listen, I did my ACL too in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So I had those snowstorms just like you.
2: And uh,
1: we've been through it. So what, what graft did you get? You get hamstring?
2: So actually, no, I got a cadaver. Uh, I got an Achilles cadaver in there, um, which I was thrilled about. Cause they were like, it's going to be like a month shorter of recovery. You know, you don't have to recover your hamstring or your quad. It's, it's going to be way easier. And I was like, all right, great. Um, and it all worked out really well. My body did not reject it. It was great. Um, and then I, I do have to add in that like four short years later, I was playing pickup with the high school girls that I was coaching and I tore it again. <laughs> um, so there's another Achilles in there. I was like fully supportive of it. Like I was like, Nope, put it, put another one back in there. We're good to go. We're rolling with it. Um, but yeah, it's funny that it ended up happening again.
1: It's, it's an interesting paradigm because, uh, athletics in general, um, you are always failing, like right. no matter if it's in practice, right? Like your coach pretty much make practice. So you do fail and face adversity. Um, And how has that translated into your post-collegiate career?
2: I mean, I think it's this idea that like, you understand that it's never going to be perfect the first time and that it may be not be perfect ever, you know, and that there's still value in like showing up every day and doing the work there's still, you're still making like acknowledging the progress for what it is and and seeing you know that you're, you're able to take steps every day towards your your ultimate goal um and I mean I, don't, I think sports like you said is this like microcosm of life where like there's nothing like I I've never seen anything quite like sports where it has this ability to like make you feel like you're at the top of the mountain and you're like the big dog and like you cannot be touched and you're just so amazing and like in a game 10 seconds later, you are on your ass and people are like laughing at you. And it's like, you know, it just is like, there, there's there's so much value in that because it just humbles you. And it makes you realize that regardless of all the times that you feel like you've screwed up or you're lacking the confidence to do something or whatever, showing up every single day. And I hate to say it this way, but is more than most people would do. It, mm. it's, it's more than a lot of people are willing to do. When things are not going your way, just getting up in the morning and like doing it again is really difficult Um, and I think sports prepared me for that um, in a way that I don't think anything else could have. Um, You know facing things like injuries or coaches that coaching disputes or disagreements with your coaches or arguments between teammates or when things just aren't going well you know I I was on my my college team was not a winning team Um, you know so seeing that happen and still looking back on my college time like that was the those were like some of the best years of my life and the winning and losing is indicative of like how you feel in that moment. But like later I was like, this was the best. Mm-hmm. So being able to find the value in that and say like, no, you do need to get up and keep going. Like you need to keep doing this every single day. Um, that that's definitely came from my athletic career for sure.
1: And this brings us to the, you know, the post-collegiate career. So what, what was your first stop after, uh, after college?
2: So I, I graduated from UMass Lowell. Um, I had a degree from finance, uh, a degree from URI in finance, and then a degree from UMass Lowell in marketing. Um, and then I was like, there was this real strong urge coming from inside of me that was like, you got to go play overseas. All these girls you played with who are now like, who are your age, but you're technically like a year younger because you played another year. They're all playing overseas. And I'm like, if they can do it, I know I can do it. And so it was like, proving to myself that I could kind of get back to the top of the mountain kind of thing after the surgery and you know, whatever. So I ended up staying in Rhode Island for the whole summer um, with my former teammates and playing with them and working out with them every day and tried to get a contract overseas. I ended up taking over the contract of a girl who got injured in Germany um, and playing there um, for like half the season. Um, And it was so funny I thought for sure I would go play. I'd come back and be like, all right, I got the bug. I can't wait to get another contract. It's gonna be great. I came back and I was like, all right, I'm good. Like, I'm all set. Like that was enough. Um, and I think it was, I don't know. It was it was very interesting to, to see my mind change so quickly that way. Um, but anyway, I came home from Germany, back to LA and a, a family friend of mine, who's an athletic director at a local school, um, he was kind of like, Hey, um, I know you're home and I know you don't have a ton of money. So you're going to come coach for us. Um, I was coaching basketball and softball, which I played, you know, through high school. And from, I was coaching the middle school level and the high school level for basketball. And he was like, well, we don't have any full-time positions, but another local high, uh, middle school and lower school needs a female PE teacher. Like, would you do that? And I was like, yeah. Am I qualified to do that? Like, I don't have and he's like, uh, yes, I think, I think you'll be fine. Um, and so I, I didn't really need like the teaching credential. It's a private school. So I didn't need the same kind of requirements. And I've been there for 10 years now. This is my 10th year. Um, wow. I'm finishing my 10th year at that school um, this past year because of COVID, we were all put into the classroom. So I've been in, in the third grade classroom with another co-teacher, um, you know, for this past school year, but yeah, it's been, you know, I get to wake up and go to school and throw dodgeballs at kids and pull flags and do all the stuff that we all love to do as children. Um, so yeah, there's that, that's definitely been a good time for sure.
1: That sounds like the absolute dream to me. Right. That's, that's amazing. Right. So, so when did the entrepreneurial bug bite? Right. Like I, I you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and it's, Hey, listen, I see a problem and I want to solve that problem. Right. Um, how did you get to that point? Because the, I mean, the playoff app is, is awesome. It's a fantastic idea. And wh- where's the origin and just give us some insight on it.
2: Yeah. I, um, I never looked at myself as an entrepreneur. Truthfully, I even have a hard time looking at myself as that now, which seems silly. Um, but as I, so I think I was in like my seventh year as a PE teacher it was 2017 um, and I had finished coaching the high school basketball team and this high school team in LA, um, had traditionally been very competitive, um, and very high performing. So it took up all of my nights and weekends. It was like, it was almost like I had two full-time jobs. Um, and so once I stopped coaching with them and I went to, and I said, I'm going to take a break. I'm not going to do this you know, anymore. Um, I walked away from it and that kind of freed up my whole life. I was like, oh my gosh, like I've got from four o'clock to bedtime every day to do whatever I want. This is crazy. And I think that's when I started to really realize, like I was starting to kind of try to be more social. I had to try to get back on the dating scene at this point. I was probably like 28, 29. Um, and I was like, I felt like I was like, what am I going to do? Online dating had really become the way of the world at that point. It was like, if you if you're not dating online you are missing an opportunity is what it kind of is what kind of society made me feel like my my friends were kind of all doing it and i was like all right so i got on all these generic big apps that are where it's like kind of anyone's welcome and i just realized i was like endlessly swiping through people and i was like this feels like not very productive uh, you know you're just kind of going through you know nothing about these people it's very superficial you're just kind of like Oh, this person looks good. It's all based on this, you know, picture and maybe a couple words about them. So then eventually all these niche apps started popping up and now it's like, there's an app for Christian people and Jewish people and black people and farmers and vegans. And like every demographic, like has some sort of representation. And I was like, well, if I had to identify with one group of people forever, like who would that be? And the answer for me will always be athletes. I was like, those are my people. I don't care how much money you have, what religion you practice, what ethnicity you are, like what your sexual orientation is, like athletes are my people. So I was like, I feel like I wouldn't be the only one who felt that way. That couldn't be right, you know? So uh, there was like one spring break uh, that, I, that kind of set aside these two weeks to like, all right, you're going to research it because if it's out there, if it exists already, then you should go be on it. And if it doesn't, maybe you would do it. Like maybe you could do that. And I looked it up and there was really nothing out there. There's, there were some apps out there for like fitness loving people and people who do CrossFit or, you know, things like that. But there was nothing that verified your level of athletic competition. Um, and I probably spent like another month convincing myself not to do it. I was like, you don't need to do that. Somebody else will come along, like just like reap the benefits once it's out there. Like, don't, Don't try to bite off more than you can chew. I have zero background in tech. I have zero background in entrepreneurship. I I just had this idea. Um, And then I was like, finally, I was like, well, why the hell not? Like, hold on, like you can do this. Like you've got some money saved up, you gotta go for it. So I went on LinkedIn and I typed in freelance app developer into the search bar. And I started like frantically messaging people in Los Angeles. And I was like, I've got this idea. Uh, if you could do it, how much would it cost and how long would it take? Um, and I was, getting, I was getting quotes from anywhere between $10,000 to $150,000. And I was like, okay, I don't even know where to begin. Like, I, I, don't, I don't even know anything about these people. I don't even, I, I can look at their resume and it looks like it's written in another language. I have no clue what's going on. So luckily I had the father of a girl who I coached on this high school team. Uh, he's a software engineer and he kind of knew what I was doing. And so he was my guy who was like mentoring me and he would like vet the resumes of all these people. And so he showed me, okay, on paper, here's the ones who can technically do what you're asking them to do. Um, the rest, you need to kind of decide for yourself, the quotes you like, or the people that you like or whatever. So I landed on a guy and we signed a contract at the beginning of July and he finished the app by the beginning of October. And then it took another couple months to actually officially get approved in the app store. And then we launched uh, on December 10th, 2017. Um, so it was like a pretty, in my mind, it was a pretty quick process from start to finish of like being in the app store um, and actually having it be out there and available. Um, I was pretty surprised, uh, but I, I was thrilled. I was super excited. I was also like really proud. I, I can't tell you how many people came to me and said, oh, well, you really did it. You said you were going to do it, but I didn't think you were actually going to do it. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, what was the alternative? I don't understand. Like, I feel like I had no choice. Like, I feel like once I put it out there into the world, I think I posted like on my personal Instagram, like, Hey, come in, in like six months, Like, get ready everybody. And they were like, what? Like how based on what, how could you possibly, like, I don't understand. And I was like, neither do I, but we're going for it. So here we go. And I think the feedback that I got from friends and family was really, really cool to see, you know, how excited they were for me and how, you know, proud they were. And, you know, now actually that father of that girl, he's now my chief tech officer. So he kind of came on board. But again, after he said, I didn't know if you were actually going to do it. (laughs) And now you did it. And like, now I want to help you. And like, you're getting some traction and people want to sign up. And, you know, so he's with me and like, totally saving my ass every day.
1: <laughs> so I, I think, I think we have a pretty similar story, um, in that non-tech founder don't know anything on how to code, uh, just the yeah. rudimentary that could, that could have a conversation, um, but surrounding yourselves with pe- with people that, you know, make you a success. how, how important is that to actually making this app, this business is venture a success. And I mean, 2017, you got a couple of years underneath your belt right now. Um, have you seen that being a staple within, within the company?
2: Yeah, I think honestly, one of my biggest assets is the fact that I'm willing to let people know that I don't know anything that I'm like, I am like all the help, please bring it to me. I have no idea what's going on. I would love to learn. I'm ready to learn but I wanna surround myself with people who are smarter than I am. Like, I'm not under some impression that I've got it all figured out or some false reality that like, it's only gonna work based on my idea or like that I, you know, it's just, I'm just not convinced that that's true. And I think that has served me very, very well, um, you know, these past few years because I am willing to reach out to anybody and everybody who's willing to share their wisdom and their knowledge and their experience with me. Um, And I think at the end of the day, like, if and when I get lucky enough to be able to, you know, start to hire teams of people and and really kind of get things going the way I see them going, like that's what it's gonna be all about. It's gonna be about surrounding yourself with people who who are experts in their in their area. You know, the only thing I was an expert of is being an athlete and wanting to date another athlete. Like that was, that was my, you know what I mean? Like it was, I, I'm not claiming to be an expert as a tech founder, I'm not, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, I just felt so confident that I wouldn't be the only f- current or former athlete who would buy into that idea. Um, you know, I, I knew that the demographic was small. I knew that all investors were going to be like, well, your market's not big enough. And, you know, and I was like, I don't care. I know people will do it. Like, I know it's like, and I just felt so confident in that, that I, I, I that's what kind of was left me undeterred, you know, it was like, you weren't able to tell me that it wasn't going to work. So now, you know, with, with no funding and with me kind of funding it myself and no marketing spend, it's really cool to see that you know thousands of people are on there that don't know me by name but found out about the app somehow and you know are on it and swiping and meeting people and connecting. Um, I think it's just really a tribute to you know the validity of the idea, and it just kind of brings it all full circle full circle for me to acknowledge that like, yeah, I knew this was a good idea. I knew it.
1: (laughs) So how how many users do you guys have right now? How how big is the community?
2: So right now we're at over 40,000 downloads, um, which in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. It's great. But it's nowhere near, you know, what there needs to be in order for everybody on the platform to have a successful experience. Um, and also, a lot of it is about retention. Like right now we don't have all those 40,000 users aren't swiping every day. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're not on the app on the platform every day. Um, but, and, and the other thing is like, the goal is also to kind of get you off the platform eventually. Like you're kind of, we want you to see success and be able to meet people. Um, but one of my kind of biggest wins recently is that like over the past, probably six months to a year, or maybe six months, I haven't been getting emails about like, Hey, I just signed up, but there's nobody near me. I'm like, I'm not getting those anymore. And I'm like, Oh, this is really cool. Like you're able to swipe and see, I mean, maybe you don't have thousands of people in your five mile radius, but you know, also I realized a lot of athletes are willing and open to, if you set your radius to say 200 miles, and then you run out of people, we'll show you some people who are 300 miles away, or we'll kind of get a little further. And nobody seems to have a problem with that. And I think the reason for that is that the athlete community is so small and so kind of close knit that it's kind of the six degrees of separation thing. We're like, we're all going to know somebody who knows somebody who played somewhere, who coached somewhere or whatever. Um, but also athletes in general, whether they're current or former are like people who maybe didn't go to school and live and work at all in the same place. You know, a lot of athletes who are currently playing, you know, are moving around. A lot of former athletes didn't go to college in their hometown, you know? So there's a lot of a lot of different networks that they have or different kind of hotspots where they kind of can call home. Um, So I think people don't seem to have a problem with matching with people who are a little bit farther away. Um, Hopefully that doesn't last forever. Um, I would like, you know, I want to make sure there's people near them, but um, it's really nice to feel like people are signing up, opening the app and like immediately seeing people who are nearby.
1: I think, I honestly, I think it's an incredible idea. Listen, my wife's a former student athlete. Um, I I got lucky, went to the same college, um, but. I think it's an incredible idea without a doubt.
2: Thank you. I I always kind of laugh when people tell me that because I'm like, listen, I wasn't smart enough to like lock somebody down in college and like make it work. But for all those people who did. You guys were ahead of the game. Like you guys got to figure it out. I was, you know, I I was not doing what I was supposed to be doing, uh, you know, and now I'm like, now we got to figure out another way.
1: That's fine. Where one door opens. Another one, uh, closes another one opens, excuse me. So what do you think is like the biggest thing? So, I mean, sports and being a student athlete, even since I've been there, you know, I'm not that far removed. I hope, um, I might be, but
2: (laughs) don't worry. I'm probably more farther removed than you are. (laughs)
1: What do you think is the biggest challenge facing student athletes now? I mean, we're, we're in a completely different COVID world. Everything's on its head, but if you had to pinpoint even two, but more likely one that's facing student athletes right now, what, what do you think the biggest challenge is?
2: Uh, I think it would be, I think it would be the mental health situation. Um, and I say that not because it's new, obviously, but because there's more of a light being shined on it or shown on it now. Um, which is great, but I feel like there is a, there's, I like guess there's still a bit of a disconnect, right? Like there's a, dis- and I think it's hard because listen, if I was from 18 to 22, you couldn't have convinced me to go sit down and talk to somebody. That's, that's not something I was going to do. I was not open to that. I was not, I was convinced that I was the toughest person in the room and that you, no one would see me sweat. And I like, you weren't going to get, you weren't going to get any level of vulnerability or weakness out of me. And I think that is something that I prided myself in. And I was so happy about that. And then I kind of got older and I was like, what the hell? Like, Why, well, I don't understand. And, and there was no, uh, I, I was not able to compartmentalize that like that totally works on the basketball court. That's the best. Like, and, and for me, I was someone who never got too high or too low. I always kind of envisioned myself where like if I'm playing the game and someone had a camera and it was only on my face, you wouldn't even know if we were winning or losing. Like you would not be able to tell. And that's personally something that worked for me. Some people are like super, super animated and like really, you know, energetic and into it. I was kind of like, I want to remain like steady the whole game. Um, and that worked really well for me in terms of like my mentality and my approach to the game. But like, why am I carrying that into my personal life? Like, why am I why am I acting like my feelings can't get hurt? Or why am I acting like I'm, I'm too too mentally tough to like be sad or to, you know, be let down by somebody or to open myself up to being vulnerable or sharing how I feel. And with no fear of like retaliation or kind of, you know, judgment. And I, and I think at the end of the day, that's where the disconnect is is that I think the services are going to be offered. I just don't know how to convince people who are younger, who have been trained their entire life to not share those things. You know, because of how intense they are about their sport and how you know tough and strong they want to be, that um, that's okay to do that. You know, I am saying that because I don't know the answer. You know, I think, I think one of, on a more granular level, to me the answer would be would be individual relationships. I think it's about finding somebody you trust, and I think everyone would agree with that. But like by and large, like how do I get all the students at Ohio State to buy into this program? Like that's really hard to do because it just feels. It feels surface level. And even if it's not, even if it is from the most genuine space of wanting to help these student athletes, you still have to form connections with them. And it still comes down to like, you can't have 500 of them sitting in a room and preaching to them about mental health. Like you have to sit with them one at a time and find out what their problems are, you know? And I think that's just, that takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of money. That takes a lot of manpower and and it's hard, but I think that is where the disconnect is.
1: And you, one buzzword that you brought up, and it's a really good point, help, right? Asking for help. Like
2: right.
1: when I was in college, same exact thing. Like there's, there's no way I would ask for help.
2: Zero chance. There's
1: no way. Yeah. I, and except when you realize that after you start a business, after you get into, you know, the real world, Yeah. you don't do it on your own. No one does All it on their help. own.
2: All I want is help. Yeah. No. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I shouldn't walk around with a help wanted a sign right. on my, on my shirt. I mean, it, you look at anyone who's incredibly successful and you go down their tree into, you know, who propped them up to be successful and it'll always run into someone that they just asked for help, a mentor or something like that. Absolutely. And I think you're, you're completely on that the younger generation, collegiate athletes, they're used to being the best people on their high school team, never asking for any help, never asking for this. And then they're right. put into this world where they're just not anymore and they need right. help in all these different facets.
2: Absolutely. And I mean, then you look at like, even the most high, the, the highest of high performers, you know, we talk about like Olympians or, you know, they need help, you know, like they're trying to figure out like, how am I supposed to live with not making much money in the off season, but having to train full time and having to like, you know, there's, a, I think there's a lot going on that is just really difficult because athletes, you know, are kind of generalized and put into this category of like, here's how we can help all of them. And it's like, I don't think it's like a, I don't think it's like a one, one quick, like a quick hitter fix. You know, it's, it's about doing the work to like meet this one person and say like, Cody, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your life and your experiences and like, what's been difficult. And I think that is just really, really hard to do.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and, and, and the, the microscope that's on mental health now is necessary. I'm, I'm happy that the, the conversations are happening. Um, do you think that NIL is going to increase that pressure on a student athlete? Uh,
2: you mean the pressure of like the, like the, a uh, mental health pressure?
1: Yeah. Um, so being able to, you know, make money on yeah. your name image likeness and starting to, you know, yeah. gain a following and this and that, because some yeah. people are doing it.
2: And I think it opens up a conversation that a lot of younger athletes may not be ready for. Like you could have, you know, 10 to 20 to 30 to 40,000 followers and you're kind of posting whatever you want and it's great. And like life is free and easy and it's awesome. But the moment, like you're starting to have to have like a little bit more mature conversations about like, well, what is this worth in terms of if you're willing to post about something for somebody or like, how does that affect your personal brand? Do you want to post for For a brand or for a company that you don't necessarily believe in or that that's you know it doesn't really align with with your values and things like that you're you're kind of and i don't i wouldn't say that it's going to necessarily always deter or detract you from your sport but it's going to become like if you can have a stream of income you you know you would be silly to not want to capitalize on that and not want to at least kind of dive a little deeper into what what you're able to do um and i think it's it could easily get to a point where Some, not all, but like some athletes really start to feel like they're worn too thin, right? Like there's too much going on. And like, you've got study hall and you've got treatment and you've got weights and you, but you still want to kind of operate on your own to where you can kind of monetize and make some money. But then you still got practice and you got travel and you got this or that. And I think when there's no pressure on it and you just get to post whatever you want and you're just kind of living, doing your thing. I think it's fun still, you know, Mm -hmm. I'll never forget. Like when I started the playoff Instagram, I mean, listen, I'm like, we've got 1500 followers. It's not exactly influencer level, but like, <laughs> but when I started it and I started posting or whatever, you're trying to find something to post every day. And I was like, oh, this sucks. Like, I don't enjoy this at all. I stopped posting on my personal page. I like, de- I deactivated my personal page because it got to be like overwhelming. I was like, I don't want to be on here every day. And I don't want to have to come up with something new to post. Some people, I will say some people obviously find joy in that and that's awesome but it, it definitely does feel like a job. That was the first time I ever really started to respect anybody who is like, my full-time job is like social media content creator. I'm like more power to you, that's awesome. I, uh, you couldn't pay me enough money in the world, but for some people that's where it's at. And I think that could start to kind of like run you a little ragged in terms of your mind with all the different obligations you have as a student and an athlete and like a business owner at that point. You know
1: yeah no it makes it makes complete sense it makes complete sense so last question because I know we're running short on time one thing that you've learned throughout your your career you know your your time whether in college out of college um your venture that you kind of fall back on every single day you think it's just you know what this is my this is my diamond I'm holding on to it, and this is what i this is what I fall back on
2: I think I always think of the term grit. I always go back to this word. And I, I, I think it's so powerful. Um, I, I was, my mom always used the word powerful to me. She always wanted me to grow up being a powerful woman and a powerful person and kind of exuding a level of power that is, you know, kind of in your face and kind of dominating and kind of like unapologetic and you are who you are. And you're going to walk into a room with power and everyone's going to know it. And I, and I love that. I think that was That was like a lesson that I was given a really long time ago that I never forgot and I never will forget. Um, And I think that combined with grit and this idea that like you're doing things and and you're you're at a level right now where it's not nowhere near where I want to be, but 99% of people that, you know, and people in the world would have quit so long ago, like they would. And I have to remind myself of that and not from a place of like trying to boost my own confidence but trying to remind myself that it's okay, that it's not going the way I want it to go today. You know, it's it's definitely not coming from a, from, a, from an ego perspective, but from the space of like, you have the grit and the wherewithal to like walk up to the face of a challenge and be like, okay, what next? What, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna hop over you, I'm gonna go around you, I'm gonna go through you, whatever I need to do, I will do it, and I, a lot of that will come from help, like we said, it will definitely not all come from me, but I will find a way to make it happen and I will like leave that challenge in the past and the next one will be the next one. Like I think about fundraising and I'm like, I've never done it before. And I am terrified and I'm also super excited but there's no way I'm not gonna do it just because it's scary, right? Mm-hmm. Like just because it's something I've never done before. There's every day I'm doing something I've never done before, which is awesome and horrifying all at the same time. But <laughs> but but it's but it, I wouldn't be where I am right now without that. And so I know that if I have this idea that it's gonna be this amazing app that athletes are going to network on forever. And it's going to be this huge, big, incredible thing that I really envision. I could never get it to that point unless I approached every challenge, like bring it, bring it like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm ready. And I think that level of like mental toughness and grit and like kind of focus on like, just get up and do it again, grind it out the next day. Like, here we go. It is like, it really, it makes me feel better because there's some days where like, 50 people sign up for the app. And I'm like, what the hell? Like I need, come on guys. <laughs> and there's other days where there's like 5,000 and I'm like, here we go, it's happening. And, and then the next day will be 50 again. So I, it's just like not getting too high and too low, just staying the course, you know, I think is, like I said, it's something a, a lot of people would have quit a long time ago. And I have to remind myself of that every day.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, listen, congratulations on, on where you've been. Again, I've said it a million times incredible idea. I love the idea. Um, this is huge. Being an entrepreneur is not easy. Everyone knows that, um, who's done it. Um, everyone who hasn't done it thinks it's like
2: right.
1: something in Hollywood where you're just going to make billions of dollars.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But congratulations. And thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time and, uh, and, and hanging out with us today. Uh, Awesome to learn from you. Tell everyone where they could find the app, um, how they sign up, because everyone loves love. This is an yeah, easy sell. Absolutely.
2: So who doesn't love love? Yeah. Um, Playoff is available in the App Store um, for iOS and the Google Play Store for Android. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Playoff Dating App um, and you can DM me personally there. I will be the one to respond to you. It is me, me, and me over here. So Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. I absolutely love hearing stories of people who have connected, um, whether you DM it to me or are confident enough to tag us and in your, in your new couple picture. Um, I love it. So thank you all for the support.
1: Well, that's awesome. Thank you, Amanda. I really appreciate it.
2: Of course. Thanks for having me. It was fun.
1: Of course. I'd like to thank Amanda McGrew for joining us on this edition of power, the journey. If you enjoyed our conversation today, please let us know. Like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check back in every week when we peel back the layers of the student-athlete experience by talking with those who have been through it, those who are impacting it, and guests within the athletics community who are actively trying to change it for
2: the better. And don't forget, your journey has power.